Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 31 of Extra Lore, recorded live on October 5th, 2018 over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. As always, I want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a look at Cyberpunk 2077. But first, let's run through a quick introduction of those on the show for tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 Next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only Green-Eyed Music Lover. Green, I hope you're doing well. How has the week treated you so far? Hey, I, it's been good. It's been good. I'm 569. We went through two parts of the raid last Saturday. We're going to try again tomorrow, see if we can get to Riven. And we're going to continue the grind because that's what we're living now. But yay! <laughs> well, rounding out the usual team, we have the man who is known far and wide as the Destiny Lore Content Cop, the one and only Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing tonight? You know, one of these days I'm going to actually make a video about that. Actually, I've already got one. <gasps> yes! I do. I so do. it's going to be a as... version of, like, Guardian School? Uh, no. No, it's it's... Is it bad I, cop, I worse mean, cop? No, I I guess it's going to be more something like, uh, you know, hey, I need to I need to rectify a situation here that somebody decided to cause, and <laughs> here's how we're going to fix it, and this person is going to apologize in their next video or something. <laughs> I don't know. I can't force them to do anything. Not really, though. So now know, hard to, uh, the other hard thing to I wanted to see is Beard Beard putting out a YouTube video of a Reno 911 themed. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I look, I'm already playing around with machinima. I don't need I don't need any more excuses to mess uh, around with it more. OK. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well. Last well, I guess not last week, but uh, this week we had a quick question about the 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 commu- our communities, well, or greens greens followers over at Twitter uh, experience with the green correct me here the tabletop version of Cyberpunk, mm-hmm. right? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the question was basically, you know, do does anyone have experience with it? 
And the answer was a resounding no. Nope. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> 41 votes for this one. And I only had it out for two hours. So if you missed it and you're like, wait, I didn't see it. No, don't worry. I only put it. I literally put it out today, two hours before the show started. Um, and we had 41 people who voted and 90% of them said, nope, never tried it. And granted, the original game came out in the 80s, so I'm not super surprised. And I know there's been versions of it, but there's mm-hmm. so many different tabletop RPGs. And I know it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's similar to Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah actually, Somewhere. yeah. So Shadowrun, actually, I, I mean, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I believe Shadowrun is an offshoot of this. Yes. Uh, like. I think I want to say because I know like the the genre from a literary standpoint, cyberpunk was primary, but I think from a take because cyberpunk, uh, cyberpunk was it 2013 was the first iteration and that was 1988 and then 2020 mm-hmm. came out in 93. 94. Say, no, nine, yeah, no, no, no. no. Ninety four like, is one of the one of the events happened in 94 right yeah yeah, yeah. um so like it i mean shadow shadow run let's just put it this way shadow run is around the same it's thematically the same uh very very similar shadow run tends to be much more fantastical in the sense of there's a lot more heavy uh it's it's a lot more fantasy based it's more science fantasy <laughs> uh cyberpunk tends to be uh more science fiction we will be getting into that distinction here after the the quick intro that is actually a question that we had um so we will be kind of talking about that distinction uh but so like they they are both similar and very distinct in their own way uh but yes i mean you you have like Cyberpunk, you have Sh- uh, Shadowrun, you have like Slay Industries. Uh, those are the big ones that I remember playing. Um, and I know there's there's tons more. I mean, Steampunk is out there. It's just, yeah. But yes, mm-hmm. yes. It's very similar to anyone who has had experience or exposure to Shadowrun um, and not Cyberpunk. Yes, Cyberpunk is a more... It's like comparing Star Wars and Star Trek, right? Star Wars is more fantasy. Star Trek is more hard science. Which is, you know, I'll probably get <clears throat> probably get in trouble for that. But you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <laughs> it's I mean, it's He's not wrong. Here. I mean, you can't you can't get mad at me for being wrong on that one, so no, eh. no I mean yeah, I mean start your argument, yes. Right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> we will be there forever if we get into that argument. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so obviously, um, so so that being said, like, obviously, there's not a lot of uh, exposure for our particular community to Cyberpunk, which is actually kind of the point of extra lore, right? It's it's to kind of branch out to see what other games are out there. Um, and I, I have had I will be completely transparent. I've been fighting the urge to go down the rabbit hole of really getting into the lore of the Cyberpunk series. Uh, because it's a very fascinating series, um, and, and just the genre in, in and of itself is one of my favorite genres from a literary point of view, um, and and that's just you know that's just my my own thing. But uh, so obviously, I'm I'm really hyped to actually talk about this. I know that from the little bit that they that our our two hosts here, Beard and Green, have managed to go through the the multiple pages of notes that I've given them, I think that they're also excited. <laughs> 
but we'll, we'll find out. Um, but let's run through our topic intro as usual, and then we're going to jump right into it. I think we're going to start off really with a introduction. One of the prime, one of the preliminary questions that I've gotten from our Discord chat, and then also a little bit on Twitter, has been, "What is cyberpunk? Not not the not the series, but the genre itself. What is that?" So we're going to dive into that immediately following these topic intros. In our last Explore episode, we took a brief look at God of War. If you ever miss an episode and would like to catch up, please be sure to check out FocusFireChat.com for archives, articles, and links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat. If you don't mind, please rate and, if you can, review the show on iTunes, Podbean, or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy podcasts. Reviews in particular are extremely helpful as they help us show up on charts, and that helps others find the FFC community. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you again. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering, where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. With the Extra Lore series, we delve into a game series other than Destiny for a full month, giving the group a chance to get a feel for the other games that our community loves to play. As with the normal chat topics, Extra Lore is decided by the group through a monthly poll, After the month's discussion has come to an end, we get together to stream a high-level summary of the chat for those who were unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network, links of which can be found on our website. If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content that covers a number of different titles and mediums. Extra Lore for October is going to be a discussion on the lore of Bloodborne, so be sure to jump into the Discord server and weigh in on that. With all that out of the way, where does everyone think that the best place to start is when looking for a really basic understanding of Cyberpunk 2077? All right, so like I said before we jumped into there, uh, we're going to kind of start off with really a definition of what is Cyberpunk. Uh, it's a pretty common question when we talk about this particular this particular game and genre in general. Uh, but I do want to preface this. I, I know people love me when I preface things like this, but uh, I want to call out the fact that this is a dystopian future. Uh, this game will be dealing with political topics. Uh, and so basically, I'm not endorsing any part, particular political view. I am going to try to stay 100% just in the game world. Uh, so if it sounds like I'm endorsing a particular political view, you know, call me whatever you want, but that's just me saying that so no one gets their panties in a knot. Anyways, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is a genre or a subgenre technically of science fiction that features advanced science and technology in an urban dystopian future. Um, on the one side, you generally have powerful mega corporations and private security forces. And then on the other side, you have the, this dark and gritty underworld of illegal trade, gangs, drugs, and, and just general vice. In between all of this is politics, corruption, and social upheaval. And this is generally summed up. You see this in a lot of cyberpunk uh, works. It's generally summed up in the quote, high tech, low life. Uh, originally mm-hmm. a literary movement. Sorry. Yeah. Originally a literary movement. Cyberpunk has actually become a subculture, some subcultural organism with a life of its own that has basically grown to focus on the blending of low life and high tech. Uh, the term itself can be traced to a short story, uh, Cyberpunk, by Bruce Bethke, 
Uh, and then there are, of course, what's considered the, quote, core cy- cyberpunk authors, end quote, that are generally accepted to have laid the groundwork of the cyberpunk movement, uh, primarily along them is uh, an individual by the name William Gibson. Uh, Gibson is actually considered to be the founder of cyberpunk with his 1984 release of Neuromancer, uh, which drew influence from the punk, the existing punk subculture and the early hacker culture that was actually gaining momentum at that time. Uh, then you also have Bruce Sterling, Pat Cardigan, uh, Rudy Rucker, John Shirley, Louis Shiner. You have people such as Philip K. Dick. Uh, you know, Blade Runner is another really one that a lot of people are going to recognize. Um, mm-hmm. In current generation, the current generation of TV shows, you have Blade Runner. Uh, and then um, Altered Carbon is another one that a lot of people are probably familiar with. Aeon uh, Flux. Aeon Flux is would it be considered cyberpunk. Yes, it would. It would. I want to. I kind of consider Aeon Flux to be kind of its own. Are we talking about what? Are we talking about like the story? Or are we talking about the animated series? Talking about the story. So the story would be cyberpunk. So. The animated series is kind of its own oddity that's it's amazing but it's it's its own like thing um which is it's really good if you guys haven't seen the original aeon flux anime i really highly recommend it don't like go into it expecting some a mature theme though like just fair yeah. warning just fair warning on that one um think but, uh very ghost in the shell level yeah even more so in some regards because yeah. aeon Fl- yeah in, in aeon flux is God, I'm going to get sucked in the rabbit hole of that one. Aeon mm-hmm. Flux is yeah. so random. Like, even mm-hmm. even watching Aeon Flux in the right order, you still have to watch it a couple times to understand what yeah. exactly is going on. Um, but in regards to, like, the dystopian uh, commentary on social uh, norms and the use of cyber technology and nanotechnology in a way... Uh, yeah, it definitely falls within the realm of cyber te- uh, cyberpunk. I would almost argue that it's almost more of a nanopunk uh, mm-hmm. subgenre, which I'll get into just a little bit. Um, it's that it, it, like there's there's a couple. So like cyberpunk is a sub subgenre of science fiction. Um, there are subgenres of cyberpunk. Yep. So they're like sub sub in some cases sub genres of science fiction and this is normal for you know literary genres they'll they'll splinter off and then splinter off and splinter off um and aeon flux i think kind of transcends the the line between nanotech what's called nanopunk and cyberpunk and i'll get into the i'll get into that in just a second because there is that is actually one of the questions that i want to hear your guys's points of view on um but real quick to jump back to gibson the reason Gibson is considered to be kind of commonly considered to be the founder of cyberpunk is he's actually the individual who coined the term cyberspace in Neuromancer. Um, and it basically, he used that phrase in Neuromancer and it just resonated with the cyberpunk world. Um, and so what we want to do real quick is if we break that into its and into its roots, we'll see really a, a definition starting to emerge, right? So you have cyber, and the reference here is to technology, which is cyberspace, cybernetic enhancements, biotechnology, nanotechnology, all just technology in general. Um, and then punk. Uh, punk is generally defined as the reference to the general people and overall attitude that was found within the punk movement. Uh, protagonists will obviously tend to be the outsiders, the antiheroes, dissenters, misfits, and, um, 
And basically the common theme between all protagonists who fall within a blank punk theme is that there is a subversive nature that all of them have. They are the the outliers of the bell curve and they are the ones that are kind of like the the anti-hero before the anti-hero was really conceived of really fully. Um, and so that's where that kind of comes from. So when you put those together, you have a dystopian, you know, wrong, uh, Mad Max-esque type thing. Could so, we possibly say they never asked for this? <laughs> I never asked for this. Um, I had to get it in there in, in cyber, And you know, the funny thing is in Cyberpunk, there is actually a... Um, to kind of to blend that with the Mad Max reference, there is actually a a in the tabletop version. I don't know. So fair fair warning, we don't know a lot about 2077 as a video game in and of itself. Uh, we know bits and pieces because we've we've obviously had God nearly thirty books. Well, we have thirty books, but I'm also thinking, what is that? 10, 20, 30 years of mm-hmm. the RPG at this point. Um, yeah, and it's been three editions. Three editions. Point, yes, it's been, uh, it was 2013, 2020, and then 3.0 slash Firestorm. And Firestorm has been basically softly confirmed that it has been retconned. Uh, majority of it, there are bits and pieces, and I'm going to get into that with the corporate wars. But um, Firestorm was mostly retconned. Uh, but there, there is a, a group within that who are basically road warriors. Uh, they're called gypsies. And that's mm-hmm. what they are. They are like the Mad Max-esque survivors of this like this country that has fallen apart at its seams. Um, and yes, they did not ask for it. They were actually literally born into it. Um, but real quick, one of the questions that we got asked, I, I, I put a call out in the Discord and uh, Taylor B. had actually asked, uh, let me make sure I get this correct. <clears throat> they, he wants to know the, sh- the our thoughts on the parallels and differences between cyberpunk and other punk genres. It's an excellent question because there there are like we kind of been saying there's there's a lot of nuanced differences, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. the primary offshoots of what would be I would consider the quote punk subgenre within science fiction is obviously cyberpunk, which we've kind of talked about here. Uh, the next one would be biopunk. Uh, this is basically cyberpunk. But it's dominated by biotechnology. Uh, this actually kind of so cyberpunk was like late 80s and then biopunk quickly followed in the early 90s. Um, and it's seen as building on the biotechnology instead of information technology. Uh, the storyline will follow individuals who are changed via genetic manipulation rather than mechanical uh, manipulation. Um, so there's that and then steampunk, which is, has taken off significantly and just cultural wise, uh, in these last, I think like what last five, 10 years, steampunk is, is a huge thing, not necessarily in RPGs, uh, though you do have, um, dishonored, for example, would be mm-hmm. considered a steampunk game. Uh, and this is a, this is a world in which there's, excuse me. It's set in an alternate history Victorian era that basically combines the anachronistic technology with cyberpunk's bleak film noir worldview. So you have the dystopian worldview, but you have like a throwback to the the gears and cogs. You'll see a lot of those. Um, That's steampunk. Nanopunk, which is kind of where I was mentioning with Aeon Flux. Uh, Nanopunk is something that is very similar to biopunk, but instead of the use of biotechnology... 
Um, it describes a world in which the use of biotechnology is limited or prohibited and only nanites and nanotechnology is actually in wild use. So where in biopunk, you have biotechnology, nanotechnologies um, will often coexist. So like biotechnology, biopunk will be bio and nanotechnology are kind of working together. Um, nanopunk biotechnology has been basically banned. Um, and right now it's, it, it's honestly not a huge, huge thing. Uh, the genre is actually more concerned with like artistic and uh, physiological impact of nanotechnology, which in and of itself is a rather new um, conception. Uh, this was definitely not in the in the minds of the 1980s, 1990s authors. Um, I mean, it, it kind of was, but not to the degree that it is now. Um, so right now, nanopunk is more concerned with like the actual philosophical debates of nanotechnology more than the actual technology itself. Um, so those those are kind of like the four major punk subgenres. Um, so I guess I'm going to kind of hand it over to Green and then Beard on any what are your thoughts i guess on the parallels and differences you know do you do you see are there pretty clear ones you know what are what are your thoughts on those which one are you interested in most i guess when i was like first introduced to the concept of steampunk and whatnot um the person who described it to me basically said it's a um society trying to cope with uh like it's not quite a post-apocalyptic society but it's one that is like super struggling with all sorts of different things and it's kind of on the the downslide of all the different things and rebuilding and the differences between all the punks mainly lies in its utilization of technology what it's using so like you were talking about the nanotech the nanotech is going to be what is used for uh nanopunk versus cybertech which is using cybernetics versus steampunk which is very um turn of the century using steam engine type technology yes it's like way different than turn of the century type stuff but at the same time it's that level of technology utilized in in that world in that kind of semi-futuristic semi-alternate timeline type feel to it um personally i've always liked steampunk just because i think it's fascinating to see people alter using um using the technology of like the turn of the century but at the same time create a utterly fanciful like way more advanced than you would think would be possible with that technology type thing i don't know that's just yeah, kind of like, always been see... With steampunk, really quick to jump in there. With steampunk, you also yeah. see a lot of like airships. Uh, yes, dirige- dirigibles. 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 It's just a fun word to say. Um, so you'll see a lot of that too. Uh, to kind of explain, we were kind of talking about video games. So like steampunk would be you know dishonored. Um, mm-hmm. Your uh, nanopunk. I really hesitate to even say anything, but I, I think it would be more of like a Deuce X kind of thing if anything mm, i mean it right i mean like the maybe the early ones right well yeah yeah no so not not like the the ones that like uh, human revolution human revolution divided no 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 way. those are cyber no those are cybernetics yeah. because that was the whole point of human uh what was it divided 
like yeah, that was the whole thing, thing was cybers versus mm-hmm. humans. Um, but yeah, the early ones, which is where you kind of saw uh, Adam get like a lot of focus on subcutaneous enhancements and stuff like that, like his armor skin and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, like I said, like I, I there's not a lot out there in far in regards to nanopunk that I'm currently aware of. Um, it's not a genre that I've paid a lot of attention to, to be fair. Um but it's not a very uh, well known genre it's, it's, either. Right. It's it's kind of a new genre. Not to say that I'm not interested in it, I just haven't had a lot of copious free time to pay attention to it. Uh so those are uh, Steampunk's Dishonored, Nanopunk is kind of a hard one. Biopunk is really easy. Bioshock. Bioshock is a biopunk game. Um yep. because the whole thing of the way that especially the first one, the way that you gain the abilities that you gain is through intravenous injection of different chemicals. Uh, that is biopunk in in and of itself. Uh, Interestingly then, enough, Bioshock Infinite, right? That was yeah. kind of a mixture of the bio oh, yes. biopunk and steampunk. Steampunk, right? Yeah, and you you'll see. And that's kind of the other thing that Taylor was getting at too. You often see a very interesting blend. Really, honestly, the only ones that don't seem to really blend well are bio and nanopunk. Um, and that's because nanopunk focuses on the suppression of technology or the suppression of um, biotechnology and the the like proliferation of nanotechnology, whereas biopunk right. kind of sees everything working together. Steampunk sees everything working together with the, the with the overlying theme of the steam revolution and steam engines. Um, and then cyberpunk's more of like the ethereal internet and stuff like that. Um, uh, Mirror's Edge is also a cyberpunk esque game. Um, there's a lot of cyberpunk games. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but anyways, uh, Beard, what what would you? Uh, cyberpunk has always been a portion of my life, like period. Uh, but I think we kind of know that right now with me between like Blade Runner and a few others, just kind of growing up. Uh, but for for me in particular as well, I played uh, Hideo Kojima's uh, Snatcher at mm, a young yeah. age. And that is another one that is basically based off of the ideas of like what Blade Runner was all about. Uh, just taking it to the nth degree and mixing in Terminator along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which in some cases you can even say the Terminator is a, a kind of a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and even then, it kind of like dabbles in some other, some other functions besides. Uh, but no, personally, like cyberpunk has been like bread and butter for me, and at least for like my, uh, I've always unfortunately had a very cynical view of the world. I could see us getting to that point eventually. Uh, I could see us getting to the point with like how it was with Mass Effect. I could see us getting to that point with like how it was with Dead Space. Uh, and all of them could really be in some way, like even if you stretch it, Dead Space is also a very biopunk kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, looking into the genome, looking into how DNA recombinates, etc. Uh, recombinant DNA, it's it's dead DNA, uh, dead dead cells that are coming back to life and reforming into something completely new. Um, but that is something that I think has uh, always interested me about 
I guess more, especially in sci-fi, like the punk series, but cyberpunk, hands down, uh, whenever I am feeling, uh, whenever I'm feeling down, I kind of go back towards cyberpunk to begin with, just to kind of look at it and go, yeah, it could be a lot worse. Let's get back to life. (laughs) Wow. I'm so glad that I was going, I was going to say that because like, I'm like, Hey, if you're feeling down, (laughs) At least you didn't ask for this. Uh, Well done. The other thing, though, which is, I think, interesting is that a lot of the cyberpunks and the um, steampunks, they are very fashion forward. Like it is a an era where people they're they're having such a rough time because it is kind of like a, a dystopian future or a dystopian world. And how do they cope? They are stylish. Like, well, and it's, I mean, from a, like a hierarchy of needs. Right. I mean, that makes sense because mm-hmm. it's one of the only things they can control. Right. Um, and that also plays, then... I was going to say it also plays into the punk genre esque, you know, that type, that stylistic, uh, subversive theme. Sorry, beard. What, mm-hmm. what were you going to say? That's okay. Uh, I was just going to say that, like, a lot of, uh, a lot of, really, I guess a lot of the punks, but at least a lot of the cyberpunks especially, don't seem like they pull a lot of punches. They (laughs) definitely like to cover some topics that you kind of get curious about, like, very adult-oriented themed topics that we will never discuss on the show, most likely. Uh that are just you 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 start to think about the implications of like what that kind of technology can do for some of the seedier terrible parts of like how humanity is and you're just like oh god this is no no thank you um but i am i i just feel like as a as a glimpse into humanity and how dark we can get, I think that's the entire point of uh, of like what the, the the cyberpunk genre has kind of showcased for us. Uh, and it's not saying that like every single one of them is is awful that way, but so many of them do gear themselves that way because I I cannot see a world where we get more infused with technology than we already are, where it doesn't get worse. Right, and, and I think that apparently that also, I am not alone in that. Well, and idea. I think that ties into the whole dystopian thing too. That the predominantly yeah. kind of comes into because, and this, and we're gonna we're gonna I can dovetail this into Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven pretty easily. But yeah. Green, did you have something r- real quick? I was just gonna say is like we kind of are slowly moving into that anyway. Okay, yeah. actual yeah. having cybernetics because mm-hmm. my grandpa has a um, cybernetic type heart. He has mm-hmm. a heart that is not anything but mechanical. So yeah. I guess it's not really cybernetic. It would be more steampunkish in some ways. But anyway. Well, I mean, but I mean, I I think it was about a month or so ago I had mentioned on the show uh there was a TED talk that I'd listened to about cybernetic limbs and how mm-hmm. they're they have pretty much in the past I want to say past year year and a half they've revolutionized how they program it to pick up the neurological signs of the individual wearing them 
Um, and so now it has gotten to a point where, and I'll, I'll see if I can dig up the link and put it in show notes because it's a very interesting Ted talk. Uh, the guy who, who is taught doing the talk is actually talking about a, a rock climber who fell, uh, which, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a terrible thing, but he fell from a very, very bad place and had to actually have, I believe both his legs. I, I want to say it was both his legs amputated. Like, I mean, it was, it was very bad. And uh, as part of the project that they were working on, they actually reattached the limbs or not reattached. They attached cybernetic limbs and they have now the technology that the uh, the climber uh, actually can feel the sensation through the limbs. So it's it's gotten to the point now with technology where they've actually developed a way that the individual can actually feel the cybernetic enhance or cybernetic limbs. And the guy in question was actually able to not only go back to rock climbing, he actually climbed back over the spot that he had fallen from and successfully climbed up all the way with with a double prosthetics. So like I mean like it's it's gotten to the point now and to in today's world in reality we have now proven uh the capacity to to artificially attach a cybernetic limb uh, in in which the individual in question is capable of feeling the sensation, um, to to kind of dovetail this back into Cyberpunk, the actual game uh, series, um, kind of a high level summary of of Cyberpunk as a series is based, or Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. It's a single player RPG uh, developed by CD Projekt Red, which most people will recognize that name as being from the creators of Witcher. Witcher uh, three, right? Or all just Witcher, actually the whole all of them. series. Really? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that I was kind of. They just did three. Mm-mm. No, they Witcher, were... Witcher, Witcher two, and Witcher three. They were okay. all three of them. They're highly noted for three because critically, it was the the most successful of them all. However, Witcher's one and two did very well, but it two wasn't is until amazing. Third. Yeah, the the third one though was where they really started to finally develop a lot of gameplay elements that made a lot of sense and weren't quite as wonky. Because that was always one of the biggest complaints, like gameplay wise, it was it was tough to stomach. Uh, so, anyways, this is a a project that they just recently, well, just not recently, but have acquired in the last few years, and it's going to be an adaptation adaptation of a nineteen eighty eight tabletop RPG called mm-hmm. Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Excuse me, uh, Cyberpunk twenty twenty. I uh, was actually to kind of explain this a little bit. Uh, we've been hinting at it, but Cyberpunk 2020 was a role-playing game that was heavily inspired by novels of Philip K. Dick and William Gibson, uh, in particular uh, 1982's Blade Runner, the film. Uh, another inspiration was the novel Hardwire by Walter John Williams, and actually Walter John Williams helped playtest the original iteration of Cyberpunk, uh, I think it was 2013 at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hardwire was in turn written as homage to, I believe it's Roger Zelazny's Damnation Alley. Uh, so it's like this kind of like kind of staggered, this person inspired this person was inspired by this person who was inspired by this person and all that. Uh, Cyberpunk 2020 takes place in the year 2020, and the game's default setting is the fictional Night City. At the time, it's a city of 5 million people on the west coast of the United States that's located somewhere between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, 
Uh, and it's basically described as being near San Jose, but the map actually puts it closer to, I believe, Monterey. Uh, and then later supplements in the game have actually contained information about the rest of the U.S. and the world, which we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, there are there is whereas in Cyberpunk 2077, it focuses on Night City. Uh, the actual tabletop RPG takes place. Uh, it's it's almost global, and to be honest, at this point. Um, so the the overall summary of the tabletop is following it's it's goes on to say following a vast socioeconomic collapse and a period of martial law, the United States government has had to rely on several mega corporations to survive, and this basically has given those mega corporations a variable carte blanche to operate as they will. So it has transpired or it has transferred the political power from the government to these corporations. Um, and so that's where we kind of see 2077 kind of get introduced. What is going on here is that it is going to be set 57 years later, still in Night City. So we're still in that dystopian location of Night City, California. And this in this iteration of the title has at its outset a more limited number of districts in the older version. Uh, there are some shared with the traditional layout of Night City that we saw previously in the tabletop. Uh, but there, at the at the moment, I believe there are only six uh, regions, and we'll we'll get into those when I dive into Night City a little bit deeper. Uh, players are going to assume the role of V, who is a mercenary that is introduced by the developers as a quote cyberpunk taking their first steps into becoming an urban legend in a world of cyber enhanced street warriors, tech savvy netrunners, and corporate life hackers. End quote. Uh, the other big thing that uh, this is going to kind of deviate from CD Projekt's Red's history is that this is going to be a first-person perspective. Um, so through that first-person perspective, players are going to witness Night City, the American megacity in the free state of California that's being controlled by corporations and unassailed by both the laws of the country and the state. Uh, so conflict from rampant gang wars and its ruling entities contending for dominance have etched their own legacy over the decades. In the city, robotics are responsible for everyday aspects like waste collection, maintenance, and public transportation. Homelessness abounds but does not preclude the poor from modifying themselves with technology, which has brought people to addiction and violence. If they become a threat, the armed force psycho squads deal with them. Because of the constant threat of physical harm, all citizens are allowed to own and openly carry firearms in public. So that's a very high-level summary of it. Um, before I start jumping into... So I'm going to kind of say what we're going to walk way through, and then I want to open it up to green and beard to make sure I don't miss anything. Um, so we, we kind of looked at the high-level summary. I want to mm-hmm. look at a bit of... Let me make sure I have this. So that was kind of the history of the title there. I'm going to talk about the general setting, which I have included Night City and basically technology. So I'm going to run through some technology pieces. Uh, The major questions from the chat, which we did already answer, so we will skip that piece. I have political environment, which is this is going to be a big one for Night City uh, because Mm -hmm. this explains a lot of the history with Night City and all the megacorps. I'm not going to necessarily probably get into detail with the net, the megacorps that we do know exist already in game. Cause we have seen some of them, um, but we'll touch on some of the big ones. And, and then I, I do kind of want to talk about the character V we know very little about it. And I actually want to talk why we know very little about it, because that is actually one of the biggest selling points for cyber 20 cyberpunk 2077 is, is what we, what we know and why we only know so much about V. Um, so before I jump into night city, and the history of that green beard 
do I did I forget anything as far as a general high level summary that you guys can think of? Easy way to say it. The government has kind of failed us and everybody's adapting in their own way, mainly by adding cybernetics. Um, difference between the the one that we're doing right now, or like the video game versus the tabletop game in when you were taking cybernetics in the video game, you would have the uh, cyberpsychosis that would happen mm-hmm. after so many cybernetics that were added to your character, which is what caused um, led to the the cyber or this is it cyber police or whatever what were they called psycho squads psycho squads um, they were actually meant to go and take out people who had gone to that um, psych psycho psych cyber psychosis there we go. They were the ones that were in charge of getting rid of them because you cray cray and yeah. we don't want and, to deal with you anymore. And you're enhanced. You're an enhanced individual who's insane. That never goes over well. That's never right. a good combination. But beyond that, I think we have a pretty decent rundown to start things off as far as like where um, V is compared to what we have so far. Awesome. All right. So, so first off, uh, like we said at the top of the show, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be political deviations here. The important thing to remember about cyberpunk, uh, the series cyberpunk is that it is going to overlay with our own reality and then it's going to deviate around actually around the time right now, about 2010, 2015 ish is where it really strongly kind of whack goes off on a right angle from where our own world has gone off. Reason being is historically this was written in 1988. Uh, so they kind of were projecting forward 20, 25 years. Um, they saw a different way of things going, you know, there's the cold war. There's all this other stuff going on that they were kind of, you know, they're watching and seeing, Oh, Hey, we're going downhill. Um, thankfully we did not go downhill in the way that they describe here. Uh, so taking a closer look at night city, we're going to, we basically, we find a diverse place with people from all walks of life, backgrounds, and culture. It's, it's described as a seething mass of what had been once the foundations of a utopia. And Night City was founded by a tech giant and visionary who went, who was known as Richard Knight. And the city was originally planned to be known as Coronado City uh, and was envisioned as the perfect city that would stand as a monument to progress and the power of technology to improve people's lives. His optimistic vision of the future basically is now a haven for violence and corruption. Uh, and while technically still on American soil, the city does fall completely outside of state and national legal jurisdictions. Here, the corporate. Be- yeah, that's because the a lot of the states had seceded at that point. Um, Texas, California, a few other states as well. And and right, and this is where we'll see a lot of the the emphasis. I'm curious how Cyberpunk 27, 2077 is going to incorporate that information because technically it's still canon. Uh, because that is all taking place in 2013 uh, and 2020, the tabletop versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Night City was kind of the first among many who kind of stepped away from the government control. And actually, uh, you'll see with the corporate wars that we're going to talk about here when we get to the political aspect, the corporate wars actually furthered that wedge because a lot of the corporate wars were basically these mega corporations backing political parties in seeking independence from 
the governments of the countries within which they were. And so, like, basically, they, you would have two mega corporations who wanted the resources of a particular area. They would ally with a particular sect of rebellion, and then they would pit the political parties against each other while they were basically standing in the wings waiting to take over. It was a very common thing. And there was, there's, there's right now, there's been four corporate wars. Uh, and the fourth one is actually confirmed as still existing. This was the corporate war that took place as part of the Firestorm expansion esque of the tabletop RPG, which had been retconned. Uh, we know that the fourth corporate war was still has still an effect. We don't know at this time how much of the fourth corporate world fourth corporate war is still canon. So we're still waiting to hear basically what aspects of that war are going to be confirmed as being in game. Um, so yeah, so basically corporations are in charge at this point. Mm, oh. That seems like a common theme that we've hit multiple times <laughs> on the show in the last year. Uh, so Gee, over the years, I'm basically not thinking about anything at all, like uh, Clovis, the, what? Yeah, what? Clovis, what? what? So over the years, the city, Night City, has been fractured by various corporate conflicts and gang wars. And the mo- one of the most notorious of these was actually called the Mob Wars. Uh, and the Mob Wars was a campaign that was started in 2009, in which uh, a. Ra- uh, Arasaka, which is one of the mega corporations, Arasaka paramilitaries took the streets and basically wiped out the mobs that had taken control of the city following the death of Richard Knight. Uh, and that had happened in 1998. Um, so the city had been built in 98, 2000-esque, if I remember correctly. Um, Knight had been killed in 98, and that was when they also changed the name from Coronado to Night City in memory of Richard. Uh, at that time, though, uh, there was no leadership, so the mobs took over. And basically, you just it was just chaos, really. Um, and the corporations basically backed out. And then in about 19, uh, or 2009, this is the Mob Wars started. And the Mob Wars was basically Arasaka, who was one of the original founders of uh, Night City, basically had enough. And they were like, we're done. We want our, we want our investment back. Uh, so starting in 2009, the mob wars began. And basically anyone who was caught it between were just left just kind of getting undercover. Um, so this is where you also see a lot of the homelessness start gathering. Because those caught between the mobs and the, the corporations were basically left trying to make ends meet and just survive. Uh, you had riots and violence that was just like raging through the streets. In 2011, the wars, the mob wars were over, and the mob was actually fully ousted from the local government and replaced by the corporations. By 2020, the city had become relatively peaceful due to continuous police presence, which is the psycho squad that uh, Green had been talking about a little bit a moment ago. Uh, Though dangers do still remain, and the aftershocks of the mob wars are still felt from time to time. Uh, You'll see this often with what's called the metal wars or the rust wars with the uh, gangs kind of kind of muscling in on each other for most though despite the pervasive violence and poverty leaving night city is just not an option um because yet even though it's it's quoted as being the worst place to live in america corporations are still selling the unattainable dream of making it big and the the masses in general are just buying it line hook line and sinker uh night city is basically consumerism run rampant 
That's the best way to look at it. Because no matter where you look, you have a product that's being pitched to you, a, a an aspiration, a dream that's being kind of dangled in front of you. And that doesn't mean if, I mean, if you're on the metro, if you're, you know, the, the quote here is, whether you're riding the metro, brushing your teeth, or pissing in an alleyway, the glitter, vibrant color, and allure of it all sucks you in. So, so basically, advertisement saturation is just constant. And everyone is in their own right a, a wanderer. No one really kind of has a home. They're just kind of these these just self-wandering individuals. And Night City presents this undying hope for fame and success where failure is actually the ultimate fear. So self-preservation and self-promotion are the driving forces behind societal advancement, not money. Uh, in, in Night City, in order to be someone, you have to be more than yourself. To become immortal, you have to become a brand, an ideal, which makes me really think of Batman. But it's mm-hmm. a bad version of that. Uh, so, and, and actually, an example of this, an example of this consumerism, when I, when I was saying consumerism has run rampant, you see this in, and we, we actually saw this in the trailer for Cyber 2077, or Cyberpunk 2077, um, it's there's a team called the Trauma Team. This is actually a corporation, and I'm going to get to that when I get to the corporations too. But these are basically paramedics that are expertly trained in combat, and they will go to any length to deliver their clients from harm. Uh, and if you're wealthy enough, you can aff- if you're wealthy enough, you can actually purchase what's called a Trauma Team medical plan. And you basically, when you purchase that, you get a chip and a card or a, a card and a biochip implant. And what this chip does is that if they, if it recognizes a medical problem for the client, it immediately informs a trauma team who then rush to the scene to stabilize and extract the patient. And they quote it rain or shine war zone or picnic in 2020 that this is where trauma team was kind of introduced. They had a, a guarantee of like within six minutes in 2077, they're quoted as having a guarantee of within three minutes. So they've actually gotten better at their job, which is both scary and kind of commendable. Um, and there's actually a breakdown on the trauma team and it's like it, like the crazy specs of what a, tra- a average paramedic team from trauma team is equipped with is just insane. Like they have, they will have the paramedics. They usually have two paramedics, both with pistols to, for self-defense. And then what will often happen is they will be in a vehicle. And in the vehicle, they'll have two pilots, one primary, one backup. Behind those will be two what are called security professionals, both armed with saws, which are basically, if you don't know what a saw is, it's a massive machine gun. And their jobs are basically to protect the pilots and, if necessary, to quote clear a path for the paramedics to get to their client and they don't really discriminate when they're clearing a path they just their job is to get to the client and that's it uh so yeah it's the trauma team is it's it's like admirable but also terrifying in its own way because if you get stuck in the wrong place with the trauma team coming through you're you're gonna get cut you're gonna get sawed um the other thing that you see a lot in night city is going to be the skyline and that's where basically you see a lot of these what's called mega buildings uh, and they're a very very prominent feature in the night sky uh or night city skyline in 2077 and basically what these do these they function like cities they, they are basically cities within the city 
uh, and they're they're exp- they're described as self-contained architectural behemoths that offer housing, food, firearms, medicine, and training. Uh, and they are. You also have a quote that says, "Don't mistake them for a futuristic realization of a utop- utopian society." These structures share much of the same grit, grime, and danger that are encountered out in the streets. So even within uh, a, a good example of this, even within these buildings, if you have seen the reboot of Judge Dredd, which I'm not going to get into the analysis of the entire movie, but I'm just going to use it as an example here. The building at the end of the movie that Dredd has to go through, that's a mega building. That's that's basically a cyberpunk mega building. Um, it's like its own individual fiefdom inside the city that could like it, it's just that's the best example that I can think of. Um, it's uh, also a little bit more akin to like what they were trying to do with RoboCop. Yes, uh, yes, because, yeah, yeah, because that was what I mean. Granted, you've been talking about like corporations being in charge, and of course, <laughs> this whole time I'm just thinking about OCP the entire time. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's it's basically like RoboCop's desire for I think it was Delta City. That's what mm-hmm. they were trying to like remap what uh, Detroit should have been. But uh, yeah, never it never worked happened out. Worked so out so far. well for them. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say that that entire venture worked out for a uh, few billion in losses. I think. Um. So and and to kind of wrap up the the description of Night City, I'm going to detail out the regions that we do know of in 2077. Um, so again, some of these districts are shared with what what's this what's kind of called the traditional layout of Night City that was seen in Cyberpunk 2020. Uh, the starting location for the game is a district called Watson, and this is an immigrant district. Uh, you see a lot of Asian-influenced rundown buildings that were basically once owned by corporations prior to their moving to a different region called City Center. Uh, City Center <clears throat> is the commercial district, and this is going to be the home of many of the mega corporations that you see in 2077. Uh, then outside of that we have Westbrook which is basically also known as Japantown uh, and is home to the wealthy elite of the of the city uh, Haywood which is a suburban area and the note here about Haywood is that it is a upper middle class area however it is seeing a growing presence of gangs and it's largely Latino so again kind of going back into that multicultural modge podge of things uh, then we have the the region known as Pacifica, which is basically it's just slums. It's it's gang run. There's turf wars going on constantly. They're just the 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 stereotypical slums of a of a futuristic city. And then finally we have what's uh, the region called Santo Domingo, and that's the industrial district, which is where basically you know it's just that's basically the example that they've given or the description they've given is it's an industrial district. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, which actually brings me to one of the biggest aspects and interest points of 2077, the technology. Okay. So technology, uh, the first thing to realize about technology in 2077 and the, the, the world of 2077 is that it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. It's used to automate, automate, automate industry uh it's used with uh, bombarding masses with all the advertisement that we were talking about um we even see it replace human flesh and bone with circuitry and steel 
with cyber cybernetic enhancements. And, and basically this list just keeps going. Uh, and you'll see while cheap electronic devices and services are available to even some of the poorest members of society, most actually can't, uh, can't afford to buy the newest toys or replace broken equipment. So as a result, from a young age, many learn to improvise and work with discarded scrap to make repairs, to build their own diversions, and actually to create to craft their own weapons. For many Night City residents, the crushing poverty and homelessness are significant and likely inescapable problems. And so as we mentioned before, despite this, most are still entranced by all the glitz of showbiz and the luxurious lifestyles of the privileged elite. Breakthroughs in neurotechnology have paved the way for people to share recordings of their own personal memories and emotions via tech that via tech that is known as brain dance or BD. This is very big in 2077. Uh, some BD productions put actors on stage situations to create quote false memories and to give viewers the feeling that they're living in an action film. Other BDs are simple recordings of a day in the life of the world's biggest and brightest stars. The ability to become a celeb and experience a life full of luxury gives many a chance to escape their own miserable reality. As a result, and this kind of goes back to what Green was kind of mentioning earlier, as a result, brain dance addiction has become an ever-growing problem for the city's poor. Also, as with all forms of entertainment media, illicit brain dance recordings, which are known as XBDs, can be found easily in the seedy underbelly of Night City's black market. Uh, the example here that makes me think of is from Destiny is actually the in the Mara Senna when we hear about Mara selling the videos and kind of becoming a celebrity in her own right of that experience right. of being in the void. That's kind of a BD. That's that's kind of that that selling of an experience to for for others to share in that experience without actually having to put themselves in danger. Uh, mm -hmm. you'll, you also see that in. Um, the new iteration of Total Recall, they do a really good job of explaining that. So, and it's it's a it's again very common type of theme trope, whatever you want to call it, in the in science fiction. Uh, Star Trek had the holodeck. You know, this is this is kind of the thing. <clears throat> uh, two well known examples of all this glitz are actually seen in the trailer. Uh, we see Lizzie Wizzy. Who is a uh, who's described as the controversial front woman for the band Lizzie Wizzy and the Meta Dwarves, uh, which interestingly enough she is described as the only human member. So I'm kind of curious about where that one's going. And then uh, Samurai, which is described as the legendary rock band for whom music was a way to rebel and fight the system. Uh, and so uh, Samurai is uh, very prominent in the trailer, uh, where you see V, uh, the male version of V walking around with a samurai jacket. So the jacket that the the main character that's walking around in that trailer uh, with the really cool LED warmer things in the collar, that big skull on the back, that's the samurai logo. So samurai is, a, is just like, again, kind of going back into the punk theme-esque of this this franchise. That's where they kind of see that, you know, the, the pushing the boundaries and everything of the rock band. So that kind of that's kind of technology in general. Uh, one of the huge aspects of technology, in particular, in cyberpunk's world, is the net. Uh, you see this a little bit. This is where cyberpunk kind of stands apart from the other punks. So you don't really have you have a, a concept of a internet type thing in like Shadowrun and all these other things, but cyberpunk really kind of focuses and double downs on this concept. 
Uh, and so the net is the name that's given to the vast telecommunications network of the cyberpunk world. It's analogous to the real world internet, but much, much more extensive and includes things like appliance and even actually their cybernetic limbs. Uh, the net is made up of hard lines, radio links, cell networks, uh, microwave transmitters, and anything else that can actually transmit information from one computer to another. So it is basically the internet of things on steroids. Can't uh, it also, can't you, is it like the matrix where you can die yes, in it type I'm going to, I'm, yeah, yeah. And so what you'll be, that, that is actually a, uh, that's actually an icon. Uh, but in order to get to that point, we have to understand how to get in, how to interact with your icon. Um, and so while it is possible to access and use the net as we do today with uh, devices that are, record, are referred to as vid boards, which is basically uh, your, your you know, green, you, you just made one, uh, the four screen monitors, the keyboard, the physical keyboards, the mouse and all that, that's called a mm-hmm. vid board. Those are actual like in cybernetics or in cyberpunk's world, those are primitive. Uh, true professionals in cyberpunk experience the net in three dimensions, and they use they do that by using a complex cybernetic interface that's called a cyber modem. Uh, these devices, which are often referred to uh, by netrunners as cyber decks, provide an experience that is much more immersive and intuitive than the traditional keyboard computer interface. What that means is that this allows the netrunners to basically react far faster than would be ever possible with a keyboard. So uh, a, a real world example is like the, the age old argument between the argument between DualShock controller and mouse and keyboard, right? Your mouse and keyboard are arguably going to increase your enhance or in, enhance your reaction time much significantly more so than a DualShock controller. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the similar difference here between a vid board and a cyber deck. While in the net, everything Everything, I'm going to reemphasize that, everything is rendered into icons. And so what an icon is, is it's basically a 3D avatar that you control in order to interact with other stuff, which includes people, programs, devices, anything in the net. Icons can be as simple as a flat 2D monochrome shape uh, from that all the way up to a complete photorealistic human form. Most of the net environment is actually very similar to the movie Tron or The Matrix, but the quality of the rendering depends on the available bandwidth and memory. So it's it's actually possible to render a completely realistic environment, which, you know, Green, like you said, is very similar to The Matrix. However, those more complex icons require significantly more memory. Uh, for this reason, the bulk of the net uses lower quality icons, where originally there were actually options. Uh, to include one or to experience one of three unique interfaces, uh, which were introduced in the um, Cyberpunk 2013, uh, and those those three were what's called Mega City, which is basically a 1930s uh, film noir theme. Uh, they had a Dragon Dungeon and Dragons theme, which just sounds amazing, and then uh, also a little odd. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Just oh my gosh, I just what? But and then the third one was a Tron theme. It's actually called out as the Tron theme. <clears throat> the uh, in twenty twenty, the UIs were eventually consolidated into one standard, and that was the Tron like theme. So the Tron theme that you see or you will be seeing in twenty seventy seven, that is the standard UI. And what that means is that everyone who interacts with the net will see the base UI as that um the other important thing about icons is what this means is that everybody is able to be a hacker 
uh, because what you're what you're basically doing when you're hacking something is actually interacting with a real thing. The example that they see that you see a lot of is uh, in programs. Uh, there, there will be there will be structures or icons called data fortresses, and there are literal walls. There are programs that are basically worms that will delve into the wall or make a door. And so the average Joe can actually go out and if they have the money, buy a program and then unleash that program on a, on the physical wall of the icon and literally hack their way into that particular structure. And by hacking their way into that structure through that icon, they are literally also doing what today you have to know coding to do. You can do just not knowing any coding really. Um, which kind of comes to the next big thing, which is artificial intelligence. So AI does exist in cyberpunk. Um, and basically the net is the natural environment of these, of these entities. And, and just in general, uh, just like with most science fiction, there are many types of AI within the cyberpunk series. Uh, some are deliberately created by the corporations or the governments, and some are accident. And there are arguably even some that are emergent properties of the net itself. Uh, so, so far within the series, the and this is the whole series, not just the video game. Um, so far, the types of AIs that we've seen are called the first the first and the most basic is what's called a dedicated heuristic controller or DHC. Uh, DHC is basically the base level of AI. These are designed to perform specific functions and basically their focus does not stray from that function. Uh, imagine a um, a media player or a, a printer like you know it's it's they do they do that and that's what they do. That's all that matters. The next step up is called symbolic analysis AIs, and these are also called SAD AIs, SADs. Uh, these are AIs that are deliberately designed to emulate human behavior. Uh, and what you'll see a lot of SADs, uh, you'll see these as artificial assistants uh, in some form or fashion, secretaries, gatekeepers, what, what have you. Uh, that then brings us to the next level which is human AIs. Now, these are AIs that were actually originally human. They were actual humans that have been digitized, um, and now they only exist on the computers and the net. So uh, the problem uh, here... that before. Yeah, the problem here is, and this is also something that you probably never heard before, is that these might not necessarily have been voluntarily digitized. <laughs> they, uh, well, they, uh, I've never heard that before. Surprise! The human AIs <laughs> might not have been 100% on board with having their consciousness digitized. Um, so yeah. The, in a cage meme. Uh, you yeah. don't say. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> yeah, and so like these these will be uh whereas the sads uh are designed to emulate human behavior human ais will actually they they are human they are formally human uh so they don't have to emulate they actually will have human behavior uh these are often kind of the 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 workhorses of the the ai forces um that brings us to what's called transcendental sentience ais or ts ais and Basically, this is one of, and so these next two AIs are really kind of the arguable ones because there's, these are the ones that exist in myth. Uh, 
these AIs are what are what are called an emergent property of the net. And basically what that is, is that they are they are argued to be a natural consequence of how the net functions. And so they are basically something that was naturally created by the net. They are not controlled by anything. They are not uh, they were not created on accident. They are just there. Uh, and the transcendental sentience AIs or the TSAIs, uh, there's arguably one TSAI primarily for each quote unquote region within the net. Uh, that gets into a large rabbit hole that I'm not going to dive into because that would that would be like five hours in and of itself explaining. Um, but yeah, so TSAIs are are arguable on their their existence. Uh, that then takes us to what's known as a critical pathway plateau AI or CPP. Uh, these are very similar to the TS AIs, but on a much smaller scale. Uh, these AIs are not debatable because these are the AIs. CPPs are AIs that were basically, they came into existence by accident. Uh, what happened was a corporation or a government or uh, whatever was programming an AI, probably an SAD AI, uh, and uh, something happened. A bug was introduced, a glitch happened in the in the code, and instead of deleting the AI, what basically happened is they, they accidentally created something more than an SAD, but not quite a human, um, and that's what a CPP is. So it's it's these really kind of interesting little accidents that are still around. Uh, so CPPs are similar to TS, but they were created, whereas TS was not created. So that's the net. A very, 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 very high-level review of the net. One of the things that is also very prominent in cyberpunk is the cyberware. Uh, and so cyberware are basically the cybernetic prosthetics that you see in pretty much every aspect of the trailer that we've seen so far or any cyberpunk genre content out there will have these uh so the cybernetic prosthetics were originally developed for practical and medical purposes in 2077 cyberware has become so commonplace that you'll see it as a more of a matter of lifestyle choice so you have commonplace you know like this is basically the tattoos and jewelries of the world um you have multitude of reasons for installing uh including simple tech upgrades combat enhancements and actually there are even fashion uh in fashion statements which you saw in the trailer there is a scene where a woman is doing makeup and it pans out and she has no lower face because her entire lower jaw is actually hanging on the on the uh vanity to her left because she hasn't gotten around to putting the makeup on it just yet. I mean, there's, there, I mean, this is, it's just insanely detailed and insanely, um, pervasive as far as how, what, what can be cybernetically enhanced. Um, and so really what happens is in night city, the possession of trendy, what's called trendy cyberware has become an integral and defining part of that culture. Uh, uniqueness is identified as just being another form of currency. And, and this goes back to what we were talking about. To make it big, you need to look the part. Style is everything. Uh, an example that we saw in the trailer, again, kind of going back there, is something called real skin technology. And this is what is synth synthetic skin that is designed specifically to cover cybernetic implants to make it look like you don't have a cybernetic implant. Um, so it's kind of like this, this you're showing Graphing. off by, well, it's great. I was, I was going to say it's more like showing off by hiding 
Mm. Um, and so that's that's very thing. Uh, you'll see one of the, one of the corporations that we're going to talk about actually plays off the the obsession with the the trendy cyberware. Uh, that's that's their entire industry, really. Uh, it's called a uh, Chrome. It's uh, Chrome plate, uh, blah, 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 Chrome plated cybernetic arms. Uh, so there's there's an event or there's a fad going on right now in cyber cyberpunk. Uh, Jax. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's chrome plated fat is what it's called. Uh, Dentalar in, uh, Technologies is entirely their their specialty is what's called chrome plated cybernetic arms for women. Uh, and basically that is the majority of their income is entirely supported by what's known as the chrome plated fad, uh, within the trailer. Let me think within the trailer, you actually see this within, uh, the portrayal of Lizzie Wizzy, uh, who is the woman who kind of gets out of a limo on a red carpet and there's like all these cameras flashing, blah, blah, blah. And she's She's basically chrome. She's a hundred percent. Looks like she's a hundred percent chrome. That's what a chrome plated, chrome plated cybernetic would be. So, that kind of comes to the other side of this coin. So you know we're talking about robotics. Well, there's not just cyberware. There's actually drones and robotics. And this kind of stems. This this spans from live feed camera drones to sparring bots to you know, massive warehouse machinery. So you're talking about anything from uh, the the stereotypical little spy bug to basically the wallies. You know, the giant wallies that are in Wally that are dumping all the trash in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those guys. Those guys exist or could exist here. Uh, so those are like the huge automated trash collectors, robotic street sweepers. You know, um, if you're lucky enough to have a window, you can see these throughout the day. Uh, and and so basically, whether top of the line or pieced together from scraps, robotics really just serve a huge role in both economic and everyday life. Uh, so in the economic sector and everyday life, robotics is a huge component of this. Uh, most public transportation systems are actually completely handled by automated vehicles. Uh, trains and buses are ba- they're basically practically entities in and of themselves, and they are able to communicate with each other and learn in order to improve efficiency. Uh, really cool call out here is that this is actually another TED talk that I was just listening to was talking about if we can completely automate automate uh, vehicular movement, you can actually have a world in which arguably there is no traffic jams because the way the the way that they are presenting that is if you look at what happens in a human human body with your blood. Uh, There are infinitely more blood cells than there are vehicles on the road in today's world. And there is not really ever a traffic jam that doesn't involve an external source, which would be a a clot, uh, which, you know, if you get cut and scabs over, that's a clot. Um, And so they're arguing that the way that they communicate with each other could be could be based off that communication device as well. And that's kind of what you see here with the trains and buses being their own entities. They are operating on a network that is completely independent of any other network. So they're able to communicate with each other and more efficiently move around the city with each other. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, you have the, ex- the military. Uh, so a, an example of the military is the flathead, which is also the MTOD 12. Uh, this is actually this is actually seen in both the trailer and then uh, CD Projekt Red released a video of real gameplay. Uh, and the mission that is primarily focused on in that gameplay is the the um, 
quote, reacquisition of an MTOD-12 from a gang who's known as the Maelstrom Gang uh, for a fixer, Dexter Deshaun, uh, who will kind of get into the fixer's aspects here in a little bit. Uh, with the political environment. But uh, basically, the fixer hires V and a team to reacquire the MTOD, the flathead, um, which is basically a, a flathead is an experimental military grade unit that is designed for surveillance and reconnaissance missions. And it comes especially equipped or specially equipped with uh, dynamic camouflage armor and motor impulses that rival the human nervous system. Uh, so in the trailer, you see this where they're in a aquarium bar. Uh, the robot drone that is sitting on the table between the group of people in that scene, that's the MTOD. Uh, in the game, like I said, in the game, you actually see the MTOD in action. Uh, Dexter apparently kind of drives it around. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch the video for the gameplay. I've heard it's amazing. Um, but you actually see the MTOD kind of demoed by Dexter in that game. Or no, he's demoed by one of the Maelstrom gangs uh, before you take it back to Dexter. Um, so yeah, that that's and that, that kind of is like a really rough summary of the tech that you see. Um, I'm going to take a breath for just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, good idea. What do you guys have any questions on the tech aspect before I dive into the political aspect? Um, the tech aspect is the easiest way to say it is that the, whatever you can dream up, they're going to do it. Yep. Fingers on cell phones. God, that is such a stupid thing. I don't understand why. <laughs> like, it's not even useful. Um, no. I digress. Right. I digress. But uh, with the cybertech, uh, it is, they can go full cyborg, like you were saying, which is kind of interesting. And it brings up a lot of, like, the philosophical questions of, are they still human at that point when they're going full cybernetics? Or is that, have they lost that? What's going on? And that is, I don't, I don't know if the game's going to get into that debate. I know in the RPG, there is some of that. Obviously that's a very common debate in cyberpunk genre. Um, you know, Blade Runner to the new Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. Beard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh God. Yes. Are are replicants people? Yeah. Like that's a huge debate in, in Blade Runner. Um, so it's a very common debate whenever you have AI uh, and in general cybernetics. At what point do you cease to be human? You know, at what point are you more machine than man? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm not sure if they're going to get into that. I can see them getting into that in the game, uh, but well, I don't know in what capacity in, they'll go. In frank portions, I think it's going to come down to what path you take as well. Then that's just fair the as well. Way just the way that they're kind of explaining this, it feels like it can be something that is very Deus Ex or is very uh, Blade Runner. Or uh, what's or, the other? Uh, Detroit, right? Is Detroit the one yeah, that Detroit you play become, as? Become human. Becoming human, right. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's several ways that they can kind of dip and go with it. Uh, I can see many different paths that we can all take, of course, when all is said and done, but... Uh, yeah, especially for for how they're opening up this game, especially. Uh, I think that there are certain paths and certain things that you are just not going to see. Uh, because you will 
at least if it's going to be anything like what they're talking it up to be, uh, with all the paths that you could take, it's going to be different. Oh yeah. Sure. And like when we get, when I get to the, I'm going to try to get to V, hopefully I can get to it before we run out of time because one of the coolest features that they have with create character creation is actually dealing exactly with that. Mm-hmm. However, let's, let's finish building out the world real quick before we dive into V. So the next, the next big thing, <clears throat> the next big thing is the political environment. And Basically, I'm just going to read, I, I kind of wrote up a little bit here uh, that kind of dives into quotes from CD Projekt Red's website. Uh, so what I have right now is this this kind of summary. I said, the world is broken. Following an economic collapse during the early 21st century, the United States was forced to rely on megacorporations, megacorps, to survive. These corporations deal in a wide range of areas, weapons, robotics, cybernetics, pharmaceuticals, communications, and biotechnology, to name a few, and many of them operate above the law. In Night City especially, megacorps manage every aspect of life from the top floors of their skyscraping fortresses, their power eclipsing that of any world government. Down below, the streets are rung by drug-pushing gangs, tech hustlers, and illegal brain-dance slingers. The in-between is where decadence, sex, and pop culture mix with violent crime, extreme poverty, and the unattainable promise of the American dream. Night City has seen its share of gang warfare over the years. The gangs that fill the city vary by structure, hierarchies, and backgrounds. However, all organized crime in this town is driven primarily by violence. Self-actualization through violence is a philosophy followed by many in the society, driven by an ever-present need to prove oneself. At the bottom, physical brutality settles most disputes. At the top, corporations do whatever is necessary to maintain both hard and soft power. Here, fear is king. An important location to observe and interact, if so desired, can be found in Below Deck, an underwater-themed club opened in a former aquarium. Gun laws are lax in the most violent and dangerous metropolis of the corporate rule country. Anyone can own a gun, and thanks to frequent riots and the daily threat of violence, just about everyone does. Open carry of firearms is both commonplace and many even wear bulletproof clothing as they go about their lives, just in case. No one bats an eye at an eye, or no one bats an eye at a pistol here or a rifle there. To stay alive, you need to look out for yourself. Even if that sometimes means turning a blind eye to the constant violence happening all around. Um so yeah, it, it basically the explanation of why your characters can have such powerful equipment equipped at all times is because everyone else does like everyone else mm-hmm. has it. So you need to have it just to protect yourself. Um, and to call out real quick below deck is the underwater, that underwater theme club that is from the trailer. That's where you see the MTOD 12. Uh, that's where uh, Dexter kind of has his shop or actually a lot of fixers are uh based out of uh below deck um so kind of gets us into the mega corporations and Mm -hmm. they own the government at this point oh oh, yeah they well they own all governments at this point to be fair Mm -hmm. especially in 2077 uh night city basically is described as a global center for mega corporation operations uh and is actually home to a lot of the regional branches of corporate giants such as arasaka and militech uh, both who, both of which were large funder or large founders in the construction of at the time Coronado City, which then became Night City. Um, so 
Arasaka specializes in protective services and distribution of Japanese-made products throughout North America. Centered and you know, they're, they're kind of their central point again is Night City, and over the years it's kind of developed a dark reputation as a corporation that is to be feared and which covers its tracks with a very very heavy use of what's a, a profession called cyber assassins, an army of lawyers, and the yakuza. Arguably, they they you know obviously quote unquote can't be proven. Militech, on the other hand, is an arms dealer that's based out of the eastern US, United States. And what Militech does is they work closely with police and military forces and have basically substantially contributed to civilian security systems. Uh, So Militech is where where Arasaka is kind of the... the, the underbelly, the seedy aspect. Militech is a powerhouse manufacturer of high-grade military technology, and that ranges from simple firearms to heavily com- heavily armored combat vehicles. So Militech's more of the the law, uh, uh, open open in the you know transparent nature of like they are legal. Arasaka is kind of the more illegal aspect. And in addition to that, Night City is also home to many shops, restaurants, and decor that draw inspiration from Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, and Indian culture, among others. Uh, some of the examples that we see in the trailer include Kirosho, Kirosho Optics, Cabana Foods, uh, Fudiseki Electronics, and Masala Studios. Um, and apparently, I get—I don't know what, I'm not really sure on this one, but apparently there is some Maneki Neko figurines and Tengu imagery that are also seen in the trailers. I didn't necessarily catch those, but that was kind of the uh, call-out. I saw a call-out on uh, one of the, the Cyberpunk wiki for that, so I was like, eh, I'll include that in there. Um some of the well, the confirmed megacorps that we know of from the cyberpunk world that are going to be in 2077. Uh, the first one is I'm going to just run through these alphabetically. These are not in in port order by importance. These are in por- order of alphabetics. Uh, Arasaka, which uh, really is corporate security, manufacturing, and banking, uh, which is where they kind of get their power. Is this the they will they wield significant financial power. Um, arguably more financial power than any other single corporation, and they are often they are known to often use subversive tactics such as blackmail, extortion, and bribery to influence events and the world around them. Uh, <clears throat> that brings us to Biotechnica. Uh, this this particular corporation focuses on genetic engineering as well as microbiological and biochemical research. Uh, we don't know anything about Biotechnica at this point. There's nothing we've seen a um, we saw a logo for Biotechnica in the trailer um, and in the gameplay, but we didn't see anything other than that. Uh, that brings us to Dinalar Technologies, which we kind of mentioned with the chrome-plated fad. Uh, their primary industry is cybernetic technology implants, uh, cyberware, uh, and they specialize. What we do know about Dinalar is that they specialize in the chrome-plated cybernetic arms for women, which we kind of talked about again with the Lizzy Wizzy as well as before. Uh, then we have Militech, which we mentioned just a minute ago. Uh, Militech specializes in arms manufacturing, military vehicle production, as well as mercenary contracting. And they're described as the largest weapons manufacturer in the world and have an extensive catalog that is used by hundreds of nations and mercenary divisions. 
uh, or sorry, and its mercenary divisions partake in operations ranging from assassination to corporate security all the way up to full scale military operations. Keep that in mind because that's going to be important when we get to the corporate wars. <clears throat> that brings us to Orbit- Orbital Air. Now, Orbital Air is an interesting corporation because they specialize in orbital facilities, which is literally space. Uh, so they specialize with maintenance of commercial orbital facilities as well as cargo and passenger transport to Earth orbit. Uh, we don't know much about orbital air at the, this point. However, we do know that they were involved in what was called the first corporate war. So we, they, they are important. Uh, it is debatable at this point whether or not orbital air is still prominent uh, given some of the some of the later um, corporate wars. Uh, but we'll get into that in just a second. Raven Micro Cybernetics is a corporation. Obviously, cybernetics is their main focus. Uh, we don't know. Again, we don't know a lot about them. We know that we have seen their logo. That's about it at this point. Uh, then we have the Trauma Team International. We kind of talked about them when we were talking about the consumerism. They specialize with uh, they specialize in ambulance and paramedical services. Uh, and basically, again, these guys are the ones that specialize in rapid response medical services. And they stand as actually one of the most powerful corporations of the cyber age because of the premium paramedical franchise. Because they offer to protect you, they're actually very powerful because all it takes is them saying, nah, we're not going to do that. And they can get people to do what they want. And finally, the, the last corporation that we do know is going to be in 2077 is Zetatech. Uh, this is a industry or this is a corporation that specializes in wetware, uh, which is basically computer hardware or cybernetic wear or cyberware, um, and as well as literal computer hardware and software design. Uh, this was actually a newer corporation. Uh, they were involved in the first corporate war as an ally of Orbital Air uh, until they actually made the mistake of attacking a uh, company or a corporation called EBM, Euro Business Machines. And EBM uh, kind of slapped them back into place and uh, knocked them out of the conflict. So Zetatech is in, is, is in the process of rebuilding uh, it seems like from a failed attack in the, the corporate wars. So that brings us to the corporate wars, which we've kind of mentioned on and off. There's four primary corporate wars that we know of. Uh, the first one actually took place, and this is where you're going to start seeing the deviation in timelines from reality uh, very significantly. The first corporate war took place in August 2004 to February 2006. Uh, and this conflict was primarily between Euro Business Machines, EBM, and Orbital Air. And basically what this whole thing centered around was the the two corporations were trying to purchase another corporation who was in the process of going out of business. And it escalated, like significantly. And so the importance of this war was that this presented the example to other corporations that using wholesale military style warfare against one another was actually a viable business practice. Uh, the first corporate war was the first conflict of its kind, and it actually led to other corporations following suit and fighting massive conflicts with each other over resources and business prospects. Uh, basically, this set the precedent. This was the this was the first time that we saw two corporations literally physically duke it out and the governments could do nothing to stop them um, because of the economical situation of the global uh, 
political environment, uh, these corporations controlled things even back then or even at this point. Um, which leads us to the second corporate war, which took place in April 2008 and lasted until August 2010. And this war was between two corporations called uh, one Sov Oil and then the other was Petrochem. Uh, and then this one, the big thing out of this war that kind of came about was that both sides just broke national and international laws throughout the conflict. Um, they used armies of Pacific Rim nations against each other. Uh, they went as far as to depose governments and just install new ones that were sympathetic to them. Uh, Savoil particularly ignored the demands of nation states and just did as it pleased, uh, though it was after the conclusion of the, the corporate war, it was later forced to pay reparations to some of those nations. The other thing is that the entire geographic region of the Pacific Rim is pretty much gone at this point because of this corporate war because of just the flaunting of power that they were doing it's it's like the geographic still like geography still exists but it's so polluted that really it's not even worth being around um which then leads us to the third corporate war uh this actually so there is a bit of a respite between the second and the third uh the third corporate war was a really actually really pretty short one uh it was between february and november of 2016 uh, it was a large scale conflict. So there were multiple corporations involved in this one. And really the reason that this one was so short as well as not being significantly, significantly destructive physically is that this war was nearly completely fought on the net. It was basically cybernet cyber attacks against each other. Uh, you see a bit of the, or you don't see a bit of this war, but you see a bit of these tactics in the trailer. Uh, there's a scene where there's a board meeting and there's a guy with a, a head jack that just starts sparking and then he slumps over. That's basically a digital war. Um, Finally, this is this is the one that we don't really know where it's going to stand. Uh, and this is the fourth corporate war. This took place sometime between 2022 and 2024. And really what started as a shadow war between Militech and Arasaka, um, which was a it started as a conflict, a political conflict between Otec and Sino. Um, it started in early 2020, 2022. Uh, because what happened was there was a political conflict between OTEC and Sino, uh, which were two world governments at the time, or are still at the time. And uh, Militech and Arasaka both kind of allied with either side. So there was there was OTEC and Sino who were in arguments, and then on either side also uh, Militech and Arasaka were competing as well. So they were kind of pushing the political parties at each other. Uh, what happened was o OTEC and Sino had actually managed to come to a resolution even with the the egging on that the corporations were giving them. And so what was a shadow war between the two corporations actually escalated in what's called a hot war in June of 2022 and then came to a head in 2024. And this is where you, we kind of were talking about this before show, uh, this is where the events of Firestorm and version 3.0, the tabletop versions, uh, they've been officially retconned because basically the conclusion of this conflict of this corporate war was a nuke was being dropped on Night City. Um, and so there was a very large problem with, hey, how are we going to take place 57 years afterwards if you nuke the city? Um, 
so the fourth war is to my understanding the fourth war is still on the canonical timeline uh we just don't know which parts of the conflict between Militech and Arasaka are going to remain fully in place within the storyline that 2077 is following. Um, and that's the corporate wars at a very high level. Mm-hmm. The, 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 per- oh gosh, I can't remember her name and she was really good. There's, there are a few lore um, YouTubers that go specifically into cyberpunk uh going kind of like in depth like you have and one of them basically said the US was reduced to a third world country oh, yeah. thanks to the mega corps yeah uh that's where you get we mentioned i don't i can't remember if we were recording but we mentioned the gypsies mm-hmm. um there is a so there is an equivalent of the trail of tears with gypsies uh and that happens in 2015 i want to i can't remember i i didn't i don't have that written down but there so there's there's a in in the tabletop game there's there's a a very broader sense of what's going on in global scale in the global scene uh 2077 the video game is solely focused on night city Uh, so far Mm -hmm. we 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 might be seeing other you know expansions later on but right now night city is the primary focus uh, in the tabletop RPG, since it's been going on for, what was it, 30 years, uh, it has kind of encompassed and explained what's going on in the world at large. So America is not the only thing that, or they're not the only country that has been having problems with mega corporations. I mean, Arasaka itself, it was funded or was founded in Japan in the early 80s. I think it was 1983, I want to mm-hmm. say off the top of my head. Um or maybe that was when the major leader of Arasaka was born. Anyways, it was funded in like the the 80s-esque. And so like they have they have since developed into a major corporation, a mega corporation that, you know, is, you know, like we've kind of been saying is one of the biggest ones. But because of all the conflicts that are going on, basically what happens is you you will also see in the uh cyberpunk world there is no dollar. There is a right. um it's a euro uh what is it called? euro bill i think it's like eb sci- it's like i think well, it's, it's eb is the acronym right it's like um the dollar completely collapses yep. and then we get instead of and then the, the euro completely collapsed too it's right. like all all um like in order to save it basically what happened was in order to save the economy the global economy not just countries economies the global economy all the governments had to uh so so imagine the the banking crisis that happened in 2008 in real in reality flip it that's what happened so yeah. the governments all went bankrupt and actually had to turn to the corporations to help buy them out so the corporations actually pretty much bought uh rights to different areas of the of the planet and then paid rep- and then paid the governments to allow those governments to continue operating and in exchange of autonomy in those regions which is where you get night city night city uh richard knight was uh, an individual who basically got tired of playing the the game of business and used his wealth to purchase the area uh because los angeles at that time was pretty much destroyed uh it was underwater for the most part if i remember correctly he bought Global the warming. area. What's that? 
Global oh, warming. Uh, I can't remember if it was global warming or if it was a failed attempt from the from a Cold War attack. I can't remember exactly what happened with it, but it was uh, it was they, like Los Angeles know, was gone. Like it was pretty much gone. A, the second edition of the tabletop um, adjusted some of their yeah um, when they moved from twenty thirteen to twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, or the red war or the red oh that's war, right the cold war the cold war yeah that's right that's right mm-hmm. um so like the, there are events that like the berlin wall and all this stuff those, those still happen but they happen with you know like strongly different undertones and and so where you have like all these where you had governments leading the corporations in our world in cyberpunk's world you have the corporations leading the governments and so like Richard Knight was was a kind of an oddity because when he purchased the land for Coronado City, um, he actually was trying to do good. He was trying not to pro- not necessarily I mean, he wasn't necessarily not trying to profit, but he wasn't like just trying to profit. He was trying to build a utopia. Uh, right. And the and the importance with Arasaka and Militech and then um, uh, what's the other one? Um, Pet- Petrochem. Um, those mm-hmm. three, those three megacorps are major, major, uh, sponsors of night city, which is why Arasaka and Militech are a constant, I mean, they're constantly butting heads. Um, Arasaka has a significant pull in night city because I believe that they were one of the significant contributors more so than the other two. Uh, but Militech basically funded all the corporate or uh, all the police force, uh, whereas Arasaka funded the financial districts and all that. And then P- Petrochem is because of the second corporate war, they beat Savoil, which was the Soviet equivalent of Petrochem. Um, because of their defeat of Savoil, they got control of pretty much all the energy resources or the significant portion of the energy resources on the planet. And so they were, you know, they, that was their aspect. All this compiled, Richard uh, Knight gets killed in 98. I, I can't remember if he was, I want to say he was assassinated. I can't remember who organized the assassination. But in order to continue building Coronado, they rename it Night City in memory of him. And then that leads into the mob kind of muscling their way in. Because at that time in the in the whole scheme of things, the corporations weren't um, uh, as overt in strong arming their way around things just yet. Uh, because remember in 98, the corporate wars hadn't happened yet. So uh, the the mob war takes place in 2009, and that's why if you look at the corporate wars, the corporations that are fighting the corporate wars, Arasaka and Militech don't get involved until later in 2022 because they're in the process of eradicating the mob from Night City. So like EBM and Orbital Air, that whole thing happened in 2004, 2006. The mob wars didn't start until 2009. And so then that's why, and that's why large argument is why the, the mob wars were even events was because basically Arasaka and Militech were both watching uh, EBM Orbital Air. You had Savoil and Petrochem both kind of like literally duking it out. And then, you know, nah, none of these corporations really got in trouble. And so Arasaka was like, huh, we can do that and send in paramilitaries and just completely eradicated the mob for the most part through night city. Uh, and then they brought in, you know, then Militech came back in and all these other things. And so that's where the political kind of like this, like jostling for position within the political spheres 
of cyberpunk is really kind of fascinating because you can see the playoff of each other as they're they're playing like this four-dimensional chess where everyone's mm-hmm. watching the other people because they're waiting for it, it reminds me a lot of uh the uh corporations from dark matter uh because everyone's like everyone's making alliances and betraying and all this stuff and doing like these soft things and then the, all of a sudden this one thing will explode and everyone kind of like stops watches it waits to see what happens and then basically mm-hmm. that sets the precedent for and you know and then it escalates and that's where the corporate wars that's why the corporate wars are so important in the cyberpunk universe is because they legitimized the fact that corporations could send in literal military ta- like they they weren't just financially manipulating things anymore they were literally physically manipulating things uh, you see, and that's where the fourth corporate war, um, you see this culmination of it because Arasaka and Militech, again, have always been, you know, again, butting heads. And then this, this political conflict between Otech and Sino starts. And if I remember correctly, it was over a resource battle in South America, I believe was where it was. Um, and so Arasaka's like, oh, we want it. And then Militech basically sees it and counters them. And I can't remember if one of them, I can't remember which one, but basically the the one tries to grab it and then the other one's like, no, you can't have it and is involved just to prevent the other. And so what these two are doing is they're pushing these two political governments or these governments into a fight with each other. And that comes to a head and then all of a sudden basically the equivalent of the UN basically manages to actually talk the two governments down so it doesn't escalate and so now all of a sudden the shadow war between these two corporations is revealed and instead of backing off Arasaka and Militech go all right gloves are off and they just go at it with each other and that's where um in 2024 that's where the firestorm storyline ends and actually if i'm remembering correctly that's where also where you get a device called the i want to say it's the soul killer uh cybernetic bug which actually will rip a person's i think it like force digitizes them and then locks them in a digital cell or something Dear it's lord a, yeah it, it's it's a really effed up thing but arasaka has developed this device and so actually one of the last missions in the firestorm um i keep on calling them expansions and i don't really know what a better word for it is but the the one of the final stories is basically your team as the mercenaries are going up against the arasaka uh trying to destroy this this device and in result the nuke gets dropped on night city and you know that's all she wrote and then that's when, uh, in 2008, I think, whenever it was announced that they were going to come out with Cyberpunk Red, that was when they also announced that uh, Firestorm and the majority of version 3.0 had been retconned. So you see a, you see a distinct, distinct break in the timeline. Uh, but that's also when they confirmed that the Fourth Corporate War was still legit, and still in canonical timeline, but they haven't uh, specified which aspect. So we know that it's still we know that a conflict between Militech and Arasaka has happened, um, and obviously Night City is still around, so it didn't get nuked, and that's really all we know at this time. Um, yes, sorry, that was a random tangent that kind of dovetailed out of control. 
for regards to the corporate wars. Um, real quick, I wanted to touch if I have, do I have time? I think I have five minutes. I think I can run through this real quick. Um, I challenge you. Okay, I can do it. I can do it. All right, so you got play. You got playable classes, PCs. Uh, in mm-hmm. Cyber 2077, you're going to have a significant... I'm going to talk really fast. You're going to have a significantly limited player class options as compared to the tabletop RPGs, which really should know... There's come- nine different ones you can play in the tabletop, or at least there used to be nine. Yes, there are nine. In 2077, there are three. Uh, now what they are, what they are allowing is even though you only have three major classes, you can jump between them as far as skills go. Uh, so the primary classes that you're the, the, the primary focuses, I guess you would call them that you're going to have are Netrunner, techie and solo. Uh, and I'm going to come back to those. So Netrunner, Netrunners are basically computer hackers. Uh, imagine the movie hackers, uh, but basically with cyber decks that are implanted in their bodies. Uh, and they, what they do is they use this brain computer interface. Uh, they roam the net and they basically look for systems to hack and information to sell to fixers, which are uh, fixers are going to be major NPC uh, contractors. Basically uh, the major ability or specialty for a net runner is what's called interface or basically the ability to use what a device called the menu. The menu is basically a group of applications or apps that allow a Netrunner to run a series of interface programs within the net that allow them to do more at the same time. Uh, So it basically uh, it's divide and conquer. Uh, um, The Netrunner is going to be best suited for players who prefer a stealthy approach rather than a physical or a uh, more uh, aggressive approach. Uh, Skills under this primary tree will grant access to mundane objects, doors, for example, as well as eventually more intricate systems, i.e. you can actually hack security, you can hack encryption, and eventually, supposedly, even other characters' brains. Um, So that's going to be a really cool thing to watch. Uh, Techies. Techies are going to be your mechanics. They are called, they are basically the illegal uh, scrappers. They are going to range from technicians to cybernetic specialists. So basically mechanics to all the way off the record doctors. Uh, These are going to be usually portrayed as underground techies who do off the record work. They specialize in jury rigging, scrounging, and even some will have the med tech ability. Uh, this is going to be a player that is geared to be an engineer. Their skills are going to focus on building and using a variety of weapons, gear, and instruments to upgrade and augment their playstyle. Uh, some examples here are going to be the drones and turrets. Uh, and that brings us to Solo. Solo are basically tanks. They are the hired hitmen, bodyguards, and mercenaries of the cybernetic or cyberpunk world. Due to the professionalism and constant training, they have an ability called Combat Sense, which basically gives them the the capability to perceive danger, notice traps, and have an almost, quote, unearthly unearthly ability to avoid harm. Uh, Solo are mercenary characters. Their skills are honed and focused in combat, especially close quarter. So again, tank, that's going to be your tank. So you're going to have an option of stealth. You're going to have an option of uh, basically construction or healer, I guess. Yeah, healer. And then tank. Done. Mm -hmm. Good job. I don't know if you made it in the five minutes. I don't know if I don't know if I made it in five minutes. Okay, you did Um, real well. (laughs) So, Um, one final thing. uh, One final thing. I I did want to talk about V real quick. V is a V is your character. That is going to be your character. It has been confirmed that or him or him. 
This is a really either. cool. This is a really cool thing for CD Projekt Red, actually, because they're 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 taking a big step out of what I would define as their comfort zone. Uh, first off, you're going to be first person. Uh, mm-hmm. Second off, you are able to customize of the ever living bleepity bleep out of this character. Um, they have confirmed that you are able to tell a backstory. You are able to program in a backstory, uh, which entails how you came to night city, what your plans are for your character, as well as, uh, your dreams and hopes and aspirations, all which like are setting going... up your, your, your actual player character. Yes. And the, the and tabletop the cool... version. Right. And the cool thing about this is those selections are going to flavor your influence or flavor your interactions with NPCs in the game. So when Ooh. beard, was, when beard was talking about like actual paths, not being seen by people depending on their um their choices their choices that is legit like that is gonna happen like you are gonna so not only are you able to like do like the you know the bethesda route of like completely custom and by the way guys oh my god it's beautiful like the customization options are pretty gorgeous like it's just now part of that one of the biggest complaints is that it's a first person so you don't get to see your character a lot except for cutscenes but the trade-off is you get some awesome abilities as far as customization um but also as far as customizations and i and i want to say it's background uh background how you got to night city and your dreams and aspirations i think are the three things i think there might be one more that i'm forgetting but the important thing is is that when you choose those and you don't have to choose them these are optional. So, but if you choose them, those will influence your interactions with NPCs during gameplay, as well as potentially opening up, you know, different paths and stuff like that. So it's going to be really cool watching all the playthroughs of this, because from a story perspective, it's going to matter what you do. Like, and I, and for me, that makes me really excited. Not only is it a solo RPG, but it's an actual, it's like you see these, these solo RPGs kind of growing as we see that in the in the in the gaming community, it's like over the years we've seen them come more and more and more and more like tabletops. This mm-hmm. is kind of I'm I'm really hopeful. I'm really hopeful that this is going to be kind of another step forward in regards to that. And I and I mean honestly, CD Projekt Red really hasn't disappointed. Um, I mean I'm trying Witcher not. A, uh, Witcher was so good. Yeah, I haven't I haven't played Witcher three yet just because time. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll be honest, I, I was I'm not a fan of the third person view, uh, but the storyline is freaking amazing. Like, like I, I love the concept of Witcher. Um, and again, CD Projekt Red, really, I haven't seen them do anything bad. Like all their stuff is they, they don't put out content unless they're very sure of it. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that they're, they're, they're up there with Bethesda in my opinion. Um, which if you know me, that's, that's a very high compliment. Um, so, and, and again, it's a solo RPG, which is like my wheelhouse. So I'm like, I'm, I'm watching cyberpunk 2077 very closely because it's going to be very, very dangerous for me. I'm going to definitely be watching the storyline. Um, but yeah, so that I mean, and that and that guys, that's Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. I think I made it below the mark for two hours. I'm hoping that I oh, didn't bore people. Oh, be close. We will be close. Um, oh man, <clears throat> three minutes to spare. Three <laughs> two and a half minutes to spare. So pre-editing, pre-editing, I did three minutes. So I'm sure uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure I can cut a little bit of thirty seconds out. Maybe. Oh, all right. So shout outs. 
Clean Shout beard. Okay. Why don't one of you go first? I'm going to go get a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, you had a marathon there with this one. Um, shout out for me goes to, um, you know, I actually, I don't even, I don't even know right now. I, I did not prepare my shout outs like I should have. Beard, you go real quick and I, I will think, I will think yeah, quickly I'm, and hard. I'm no help. I don't have any this week. Yeah, I mean, Blue's going to be real sad because that's, I just don't even know. Um, I, oh, St. 14's getting ready to do another uh, charity event. That's something that is coming up. And the dames. Um, and the dames. The dames are doing their breast cancer awareness like they do every year. Yeah, uh, they're doing uh, it. They're doing it different though this year. Yes. Correct. I think I saw a message. Uh, sorry, dames. I promise I will respond to you as soon as I possibly can. Um, I did see the message, but they're doing it mm-hmm. different. They're uh, structuring it differently, and we'll we will. Let me get the information. I will get it uh, sent over to our Discord, um, as well as links to all that stuff. Uh, I promise I will get that. It's been insanely busy this week, so. Yep. We're bad this week at, at the shoutouts. It's just one of those things, like, this genre, I know more about the books in mm-hmm. the genre that, and than I do about the game, necessarily. And my very first uh, tabletop RPG was GURPS, which I played oh, a yes. cybernetic um, scion, like a psionic. Because why not? I broke the game so quick. Ta-da! But yeah, a uh, real big shout out. I mean, shout out really honestly to CD Projekt Red. They they have continued to impress me over the past few years with their, their stuff. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with Cyberpunk uh, 2077, just simply because it's a storyline that's very interesting and just it's just really interesting. It's been around since really arguably since the beginning of the whole concept of Cyberpunk. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always glad to see like these older, older titles getting revitalized. Um, even though some of them, some of them will take missteps. We don't talk about D and D 4.0. Um, but you know, like it wasn't that bad. It was anyways, anyway, um, fifth edition was much better. I'm just going to say that. Um, but like, I mean, like getting, getting that revitalization, uh, simply because, you know, table RPGs just in general, it, it just, I don't know. I, I, I will always have a soft place for RPGs. Um, and then Philip K. Dick is a huge, like, he, I'm a huge fan of his works in particular. So anything that's an RPG and deals with, like, Cyberpunk, Philip K. Dick, you know, Blade Runner, all these all these type of things, I'm, I'm going to kind of be hard-pressed not to be interested in those. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, next topic or this topic is appropriate. This next, this month's topic is appropriate. I don't know. I can't remember if I said it or not. Bloodborne. Um, Bloodborne. So happy Halloween, everybody. Let's talk some Bloodborne. Um, the only thing I think that would be more appropriate is Dark Souls, but we already did that. So we're, we're not going to do that again. Um, but yes, Bloodborne guys jump into discord and chat about that because it's, I hear that it's very complex, so I'm I'm really interested to dive into it to, to get it. So, but yeah, let's run through let's run through an outro real quick. We will obviously stay for a little bit of an after show, and see you guys next week.
With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to our episode archives can be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all of our amazing partner podcasts within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.